0: To 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 my life. Life. come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: yesterday i went on a walk in the woods with my daughter and there were, and another friend and he was saying man this is awesome and he, that's all he kept saying this is beautiful and he kept taking picture after picture after picture i was like hey bro settle down He was like, dude, I wish I'd I'd seen this when I was her age. This is a great place. This is an awesome place. And it was that praise, and it made me think. I was like, yeah, we got a great God, and he created all of this. And this is in a fallen world. Imagine what heaven's going to be like.
0: God's creation is beautiful. Whether you're walking through an arid desert, along the thundering ocean, through a temperate forest, or in a vast mountain landscape, you can look around and just be struck speechless by the splendor of it all. As Pastor Mark explains in today's message, as amazing as this place is, it is flawed and broken. Because of man's sin, all of creation longs for redemption. The good news is that one day we will be restored and made whole, and we'll stand before God. In that moment, we will see Him clearly, and our praise will be completely unbridled as we encounter His glory in all its fullness. Well,
1: let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 7 for today's edition of Come Alive. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7. I don't know if any of you read ahead, but if you did, you might have noticed there's genealogies there, and you might be thinking, oh no, dude, this is just going to be a long list of names that Mark is going to butcher but I will do my best. But we're going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 1. It says, And then it was, when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man, and he feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while the doors and appoint and guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So stop right there. The wall, as we've noticed, has been being built. And now we come to the time when the wall is built and the doors are hung and it's complete. It's finished. It's a finished work of God, but there's still always the threat of attack. That threat of attack is still there. Sanballat and Tobiah are still there. They, they are not wiped out. They haven't been killed, but the threat is always still there. They're still out there. But for the most part, it's relatively safe for the people of Jerusalem. Everything was in order when you think about it, both practically because it says the wall and I had hung the doors and the gatekeepers. He's talking about the gatekeepers. And spiritually, then we also notice there, if you're a highlighter or a note taker, that the singers and the Levites, so he talks about this, the work was completed and it was set right. The singers and the Levites were there to lead the people in worship. So when you think about it, the walls were not rebuilt so the people of Jerusalem could have a really cool subdivision or whatever or a city and, and, and be able to look at very nice walls because they liked the walls. The walls were there for the protection, but they were rebuilt so the people could worship God. Think about that. The people rebuilt those walls so they could worship God with greater glory and freedom than ever before. Because when the walls were down, there was always the threat of somebody coming in. Now that the walls are up, they can worship God with greater glory and freedom than ever before. These men take priority here because worship was the reason for the city's existence. Uh, That's the only reason for the city's existence, that God wanted a place where people would worship him. And so he brought them into a land, he wanted a people, he wanted a land that would be known for exalting and glorifying him. So maybe they had held their choir practice while standing guard, but the reason for protecting the city from the invaders was just not so everyone could live securely. It was primarily so that the worship of God in the temple could actually take place. And so from what we read in the book of Revelation, when we go there, when you, we, we get there, if you look at the end, a good part of heaven, Revelation tells us, is talking about praising God in corporate worship. What we've done as a group is called corporate worship. We worship together. We gather together to worship God, not just in song and in praise, but also in his word, not just in song and praise in his word, but also in the fact that we can fellowship that we hang out. That's what God wants us to do, to be able to speak amongst one another, to be able to say, hey, how can I pray for you? And here's how you can pray for me. I love it when people come up to me and say, hey, Mark, will you pray for me? I'm going through this. I'm going through that. Some things are good. Some things are bad. Uh, And I love to pray. And you know, it's one of those things where I have my prayer journal in the morning and I wake up early and I have that time where I open up the blinds and I kind of look out into my front yard and I just kind of stare at the sky, and I look at the trees. And the reason I do that, because it takes me back to a time when I first got saved, and though life was very rough back then, it seemed like the trees were greener, the sky was bluer, once I started my walk with the Lord. So God wants us to worship him and praise him in in, in corporate worship. The saints gather with the angels in the book of Revelation, when you think about this, and, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And to him who sits on the throne and the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That's Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. That's where we get that. We see that heaven is opened up to a man named John. We get a glimpse. We, you and I, get to eavesdrop in on what he experienced. And so we will be so caught up with the beauty and the glory of God that we'll be lost in wonder and love and praise. And, you know, it's one of those things I always hear people say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I don't really think, you know, it's fun to think in those terms because I was like, man, when I get to heaven, I bet it's going to be the greatest hockey game. Or when I get to heaven, I bet it's going to be the greatest. You know, my only real concern is that we won't eat meat. Really, I mean, you know, and the other part is, is, well, We probably really won't eat. We won't need anything because God will be our everything, right? So I think we're kind of wired for that when we get there. We won't even think about the things that we loved and enjoyed here on earth. But when you really think about this, you know, every victory in our life should take you and me, take us deeper into praise. See, if we're not praising God more and more deeply with each passing year, then then my question is, are we really having victory? Are we really having victory? See, maybe we are making it through tough times, uh, but maybe we're also coming out on the other end more bitter and sour than ever. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here that needs to hear that. And if that's you, there's, there's a real simple solution. There's a good prescription for that is that if you give God the victories and you look to him and let him be your joy, not your circumstances, not your situation, not how rough life is for you, but you allow God to be your joy, then you'll have victory. See, that's not God's victory when we become bitter. We should become better. See, his victory leads to a sweeter spirit and to a deeper praise. Gary Larson has a far side cartoon showing a guy sitting on a cloud in a white robe and he's kind of got this little harp and he's thinking, man, I should have brought a magazine. As if heaven is going to be boring. Sadly, that's how a lot of Christians think of heaven. Kind of a boring time. One of the other things that really bothers me is those pictures of the little baby angels, you know, they're kind of with the small wings and they've got the harps and stuff and you never really read about that kind of an angel in the Bible. I mean, the Bible never talks about babies who don't make it here on earth turning into angels. It, it shouldn't be that way because those are real souls and, you know, they're with Jesus and Jesus is taking care of them. But, uh, you know, it's really sad that a lot of people think heaven's going to be boring. I used to have friends that would say, dude, I, when, you, when I became a Christian, they'd always say, man, I can't believe you became a Christian because we're going to party in hell. I, I don't think there's going to be a party in hell. I was telling somebody, one of my favorite guitarists died yesterday. He was in a band called ACDC, and there was a joke made this morning that he was, if he wasn't saved, he's on the highway to hell. That was one of their songs. And so, you know, heaven is not going to be a boring time. I think it'll be an amazing time, but sometimes to the degree that we think that, we have failed to see the stunning beauty of Jesus Christ. If you think that, if you think that heaven's boring, that church is boring, that this, you know, the Bible's boring, then you probably have this very low view of Jesus Christ. You're not seeing the stunning beauty of what that one man did for you. So when you come on a scene of natural beauty, think about this, if you went to the Grand Canyon, and there's this this canyon in Taos, New Mexico that Jesse and I used to go to, and when the sun set, it was amazing out there. Uh, The mountains really did look purple. And so even if you don't know, you know, the person standing next to you, and one time we were out there, and we were all hanging out, and there was a little place where we are all standing there watching the sun go down at this canyon. And I remember one of the things I looked over to Jess. I said, man, that's amazing. And this lady was like, isn't it, though? And I was like, yeah. And then this other guy behind me, I was like, man, did you imagine that? We were talking to people we didn't know. And we wanted to say something to them because we were, it was like, wow, that's awesome, isn't it? Because we do that because it creates spontaneous praise in us when we see something like that. But the praise is best when it's shared. Praise is best when it's shared. I I love, I mean, what good is it to sit there and be like, wow, I saw a cool sunset and you can't share that with somebody. Yesterday, I went on a walk in the woods with my daughter and and another friend. And he was saying, man, this is awesome. And that's all he kept saying. This is beautiful. And he kept taking picture after picture after picture. I was like, hey, bro, settle down. He was like, dude, I wish I'd I'd seen this when I was her age. This is a great place. This is an awesome place. And it was that praise. And it made me think. I was like, yeah, we got a great God and he created all of this. And this is in a fallen world. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. So it was an, it was an opportunity to, to share with him. See, heaven will be uh, you know a, a great time. It will be a time of drinking in the infinite beauty of the infinite God and sharing it with other people that are there. If you want your life to count for God, what we need to do is grow as a worshiper. And, and the way we do that is growing to know God more and more so you want to you really want your life to count for god well you're going to your walk should grow grow as a worshiper by growing to know God in his infinite beauty. challenge him, ask him, show me your infinite beauty, Lord uh, when I do that uh, he'll sometimes bring one of my kids into my office and i 'll sit there and they 'll have something to say and just the other day, I was sitting next to Asa and Elia, both they were on each side and and just for a moment, I was sitting there, and they were kind of picking at each other. And I was just like, man, if I could just take their heads and go, Donk, and just make it end right? And then I just kind of looked at one of them, and she looked at me and smiled. And I looked at Asa, and he kind of winked at me, and he pointed his finger. And I just kind of giggled, and I thought, man, Lord, thank you so much for both of them. Just thank you. And, and to see that, you know what, there was God's beauty in those two little kids. That, that for me to think they were going to act like an adult as a kid is crazy, they're kids. They're doing what kids do. Sometimes they do it way too much. It's like eating candy. It just gets to be over here like, oh, I'm so tired of it. Please, you know, walk away from it. But again, you know, you'll see God in his infinite beauty in, in, in your children, uh, maybe in, in a friend, uh, a, a spouse that brings you a wonderful gift, whatever it may be. Look quickly at verse 2 where it says, I gave the charge of Jerusalem. I gave the charge of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, when you really think about this, he is a good leader. We've been talking about him being a good leader, but he really wasn't into this whole thing for, you know, kind of a political glory type of a deal. He had done a work, and now he could let it go. Are you that kind of person? You've done a work, you let it go. You know, moms, let me ask you that. Moms, can you, one day your kids are going to walk out the door, they're going to go to college, and yeah, they're still your little boy, your little girl, your children. There will always be your kids, but can you let them go? Can you let them go and experience life? And when they call and they tell you about their hurts, not be, well, I told you so, but yet be there with a kind, I told you so. Not the kind where you're rubbing their face in it, but let that be. And then when they get married, because the Bible says leave and cleave, and I've seen this a lot where moms and dads, don't let the kids leave or cleave, and they're right there inside of that marriage, and like, okay, well, you know, I really messed up mine, so I'm going to come in here and be in yours. No, no, no. You've had five chances, or however many marriages you've had, and you're not doing it to mine, so, you know, let them go. Sometimes we have to, I have to let my kids, as young as they are, experience life on their own, and let them go a little bit, and learn, and then they come back, and like, man, you know, I shouldn't have stuck my finger in that cage with that animal. It looked like it was soft and fluffy, but it bit me. It's like, well, I told you not to, but I mean, there's only so many times before you have to learn the hard way. See, God had done a work in in, in, and through Nehemiah, and he had to let it go. See, God would still use him in Jerusalem, but he knew it wasn't his place to stay in authority. It wasn't his place to stay in authority. It won't be my place to stay in authority for my son when he's married. I can't go in there and be like, look, dude, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. That just defeats the purpose. Now, if he comes and says, hey, Dad, I, I, you know, I hung the ceiling fan, and it's kind of like hitting the wall. Like, okay, well, you did it wrong. Are you asking for my help? Yeah, I need your help. Well, we should have hung it in the middle, not so close to the wall. You know, and it's kind of like my deal. You know, I I wish I had a dad that I could have asked some advice when I hung a ceiling fan in Ace's room and then put a bunk bed up. And it's all like, good luck, dude. (laughs) You know, it's like every morning that kid wakes up at a slant. You know, he's getting as tall as he gets. When he was little, it was good. Here's this deal. He he, he let it go. He wasn't wanting, wanting to be one of those people in control all the time and have to have his hands on everything. Think about this. Imagine working for this company. I found this stunning. This company has about 500 employees. 29 have been arrested for spousal abuse. 7 arrested for fraud. 19 are accused of writing bad checks. 17 of them have bankrupted at least two businesses. 3 have been arrested for assault. 71 can't get a credit card because of bad credit. 14 have been arrested on drug-related charges, 8 arrested for shoplifting, 21 are current defendants in lawsuits, and 84 have been stopped for drunk driving. What organization do you think this is? It's the U.S. Congress. <laughs> and, and then I just heard some news like yesterday that I didn't even add in here about Congress. You know, I was like, man, they, they, this, these are the people that run our country. How, how would you like to work for that company? I mean, it's like you can get away with just about anything. Nehemiah was an exemplary leader who knew that to be effective, he needed to delegate responsibility to other competent men. I often wonder who we vote for. Are they competent? See, while certain administrative skills are necessary for effective leadership, the main requirement is, number one, if you're a note taker, write this down, godly character. Godly character. Nehemiah picked two men. Hananiah was probably his blood brother who had come to him, was the one who brought the news to him when he was in Susa with the report of Jerusalem's condition around chapter 1, verse 3, 1 and 3, 1 through 3. So Nehemiah, he appoints this guy as the civil leader of Jerusalem. Then there's another guy, Hananiah, though their names are so similar, they're different people, Hananiah is appointed as the military leader because he was a faithful man. And look what it says, that he feared God more than many. What do you fear? You fear God more than anything else in your life. Maybe you fear going bankrupt. Maybe you fear losing your job. Maybe you fear whatever. Can you say you fear God more than you fear those other things? See, together these two men are charged not to open the city gates until the sun was hot, and to bolt them and shut them and stand guard when they were closed. Also, they were to appoint guards. They were given a responsibility to also delegate. They were to appoint guards from the residents of the city, each in front of his own house. There are Three godly character traits that I see here. If you want to take notes, write these things down. They're really good. This is one, and I'll tell you this, if you want to be a good employee or a good manager or a good boss, reread the book of Nehemiah. Reread it. You'll see some great leadership qualities in there because I know a lot of Christian leaders use this book to point out certain things in their books for leadership. So number one, faithfulness faithfulness. The Hebrew word for faithfulness basically means reliable, truthful, and firm. Now, we we really don't think about that word firm, but it means reliable, truthful, and firm. You've got to take a stand. Hananiah was a man you could depend on. He was going to see things through till the end. He was going to let his yes be yes, and his no was going to be no. A lot of times, people have really good intentions. They say they're going to do something, and then they're never around. You don't see them again. I saw somebody yesterday. It was awesome. And I've seen this person three or four times in the last couple of months, and every time I've seen them, I'll see you at church on Sunday. I have not seen them yet. So it's kind of one of those things, well, are you faithful with a little Because now every time you say it, I just know you're saying it because, and it's a sad thing, you don't need to tell the pastor of the church, you'll see them next week. That's between you and God, not me and you. But faithfulness is an important character trait. He spoke the truth. And if he promised to do something, he did it. If you want your life to count for God, work at becoming a faithful person. Be faithful first and foremost to God. First and foremost to God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It produces in us as we walk in dependence upon him. And so all of us are stewards of the gifts and the time that God allots to our lives. We all do. We all have, you know, the one thing that you and me have exactly the same is time. 24 hours in a day. How you spend it and what you do with it. Are you a good steward with the time that the Lord has given you? And then Paul said that it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy in 1 Corinthians 4 two, to be trustworthy. Faithfulness is also an essential ingredient to relationships. If you do not trust someone, you will never get close to that person. And so a lot of times what I see is people get two things mixed up. Maybe you have a spouse or a friend or somebody that's, well, betrayed you. And they've asked for forgiveness. And you say, yes, I'm going to forgive you. But a lot of times people, you know, the person that has been the betrayer will say, well, they don't trust me. Well, of course they don't. Well, didn't they forgive me? Two different things. They're two different things. It's like pie and cake. Oh, yeah, they're sweet. And they're desserts. But they're two different things. Forgiveness means I forgive you for what you've done. Trust is you've got to earn it. you got to earn it back if you blow it. But be trustworthy. Be faithful. Be firm. See, you always keep your distance for fear. If somebody's untrustworthy, that they're going to take something that you say or disclose it. Be careful. Don't be that person. They can even distort it with other people. So don't be that one. If you sense that someone is not trustful, you won't trust them and you won't get close to them. Since our God is a faithful and trustworthy God who always speaks truth and keeps his word as we grow in godliness, we also will grow in faithfulness. Now, let me briefly suggest four ways to develop this faithfulness. One, recognize and define the responsibilities that God has given to you. Recognize and define those things, those responsibilities that God has given to you to do. Thanks for tuning in
0: today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking through the book of Nehemiah, revealing God's provision and plans for his people and for you as you continue to follow him today. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message If you'd like to learn more about Pastor Mark or the Come Alive ministry, head to our website, comealiveradio.com. There you'll also find an archive of our teachings, as well as a link to the church this program originates from, Calvary Chapel, Katy. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you.
1: Calvary Chapel, Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there.
0: Thanks, Tracy. That phone number again is 281-391-5503. We want to know how we can be praying for you as well, so please let us know when you call. Prayer is powerful, and we are honored to be able to do this for our listeners. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us next time to keep learning from Nehemiah. That's right here on Come Alive.